time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right. Yes, it's been a while since we did the podcast. And yes, I have a lot of free time in this shelter-in-place thing to do the podcast. But legitimately, this isn't my fault or a lack of subjects or lack of um, motivation. We tried to do the podcast last week, and we had massive technological difficulties. I don't know if it's operator error. I don't know if it's just the equipment we're using. But basically, Larry and I record our conversations via Skype. And for whatever reason... Uh, the day after they ratified that new uh, players agreement, we tried to do a podcast analyzing that and a few other things. And what happened is, is it just did not work. Like Larry kept dropping off. The call kept getting, he'd get all scratchy. And even today, as we were doing this, Larry, we had some issues with Skype connectivity. I don't know if it's because so many people are using internet bandwidth or what, or one of the problems is is Larry talks on his phone and he didn't have his phone connected to the internet and his, the Wi-Fi in his house. He only had it just on the, the straight service. So once we got that kind of figured out, it got a little bit better. But uh, there are some pieces here. I'm going to have to piece it together. Uh, it's, it's late Tuesday night and I'm, I'm redoing this or I'm doing the intro and then I'm going to try and piece everything together and then add some stuff in where it, the line went dead. So, uh, I'm sorry that it's been a while, and I'm sorry if it doesn't sound as clean as before, um, but we did want to do a podcast today based on the um, story written by my friend Jeff Passan for ESPN about the idea of playing baseball games in Arizona, the entire season in Arizona, and sequestering teams in in there for four months in hotels, and just kind of limiting the scope of where you could play and trying to put in all these protocols to control the spread of coronavirus and how it would impact it. Um, so Larry and I both wrote uh, today for uh, Tuesday morning. We, we talked it over. The, the story came out late Monday evening. Larry wrote a column saying that, you know, there's a lot in place. He's not really in favor of this plan. I came out and just did some analysis talking a lot about the money and why that's the motivator for all of this. So um, I hope that you, you kind of bear with us through all. And I'm going to try and do this more often if we can get this to work and we, can, we don't have these technological difficulties. Um, so I do appreciate that. Also, just like I said, to promote our work, we are still writing quite a bit at the Times. We're trying to write baseball stuff uh, as much as possible. So go on and check there. And then we're also doing our version of the Sports Reporters, which we debuted last Friday. And we didn't talk a lot about baseball in that one, um, but it's uh, something we do. Myself, Matt Hawkins, Larry Stone, Bob Condota, and Mike Varell. And we just kind of talk and discuss a variety of subjects, kind of similar to the old sports reporters on ESPN, though none of us are like quite as established as those guys, and we don't have these great essays or soliloquies at the end. But it is kind of fun. It's just something, you know, it's like five guys sitting at a sports bar and, and having – a conversation so i hope you tune into that on friday as well i think we're going to debut that at one on twitch 
I'll tweet it out and you'll you'll get plenty of rec- uh, notification on it. So, anyways, let's get to the conversation with me and Larry. Uh, this this whole scenario surrounding the baseball being played in Arizona is fascinating to me, and we're going to hear more and more over the next few weeks because I think it's still in the infantile stages. So let's get to Larry. Okay, we are doing this again. Um, I'll mention it. I mentioned it in the opening, but we had some technical difficulties the last time <laughs> we tried to do this. Um, uh, Guilty as charged. I, I don't, and I don't even know if it was you, honestly, dude. It, it might have yeah. been me. I, I think it might just be internet usage. Who knows? I mean, Larry and I have a term. That we like to use uh, often to describe things, goat something or other, or cluster something <laughs> or other. It's followed by an F word that is used a lot. That's what it was last time we tried to do this. It just, everything we tried did not work. We we had about 30 minutes of conversation. And, I mean, some of it cut out even then. And then, what were we discussing? We were discussing all the um the the MLB plan in terms of paying players and all this stuff and, yeah. and how everything was working out and what it meant for the minor leagues. And then we tried to get into Sam Tuivalala, that cut out. Then we were going to go into books, and cut out again, and I just – I mean, I didn't fire my laptop through the window, but I was <laughs> on the door, you know. So we've ascertained that maybe it was Larry's computer, and Larry has a bad habit of um, – what do you don't do, Larry? Which we seem to. Have... <laughs> well, first of all, it, it was purely. It was all by phone, so it was, you oh, can't it was blame my computer. Oh, was it your computer? Oh, I thought it was your computer. You were doing it from. No, no, we do this via phone, uh, Skype. Well, you do. So it, I think it was just something was. It just kept disconnecting, and yeah, you know, I don't know if that was my end or your end, but it was frustrating. And the frustrating part is that I don't think I've ever been as incisive as brilliant. As poignant as I was that day, I'll never, never match that again. But it's lost to humanity. See, I was going to say you were addled and dotty and um, <laughs> distracted. Oh wait, though that's usually me uh, when we do these things. So we tried to do that. We decided to do this again today because of kind of the breaking news, uh, something we both wrote about, uh, and so um, we we felt like got to do a podcast. We've already done a a. Uh, We've done a video deal that we're going to do this Friday again. I hope everybody checked it out. Uh, it didn't have baseball stuff in it, but it's kind of a video deal of sports reporters with Larry and I and Matt Hawkins, Bob Condona, and Mike Varell. We'll do it again this Friday, and this subject that we are discussing now will come up. But uh, with the story last night, um, about 9.30, I was sitting in my chair watching West Ring reruns because that's what I've been sucked into. I've, I've been through the West Ring Look, I'm an Aaron Sorkin junkie. I've been through the West Wing all, was it seven seasons? I've been through it probably five times. <laughs> and and I know basically all the words, and, but I it just gets on and I get caught up in the in the the, the, the dialogue, the writing. And so I was re- watching West Wing and I get I have notifications whenever Jeff Passon tweets and I see this tweet and I was like, huh. And then immediately on our Instagram th- or our um, Instant Messenger thread, Bob te- messaged me, said, hey, have you seen this? I said, yeah. So I kind of glanced at it, and I was just like, whoa. And um, and then from there, so Larry, what were you doing? <laughs> I was uh, 
I think it was a little later for me. I was getting ready to go to bed, but I've, I've been, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been just conking out much earlier throughout this thing. I don't know if it's the stress or what, but or your age or, well, it, it, I don't think it's my age, but it could possibly be my age, but I was, I was staying up till midnight before all this. Now I'm find myself barely could stay awake after 10. So I was giving last one last run through uh, Twitter and everything. And I see, uh, uh, somebody mentioned uh, Passon's blockbuster, so I, I, I got to check this out. And I mean, I was just uh, dumbfounded <laughs> by the. It was just. It, it seemed like fiction almost that they were going to start the season in May. Uh, poss- this is all you know, a proposal, but it sounded the way he wrote it. It sounded pretty serious uh, in in as early as May with all the teams in Arizona and just weird little. Uh, twists like them the players won't sit in the dugout for social distancing they'll sit in the stands which will be empty because they're not going to allow any fans in there'll be the home plate umpire they'll use the the computerized robo ump so that the home plate umpire doesn't have to stand right behind the catcher uh things like that uh um players mic'd up uh seven inning double headers a couple of times a week uh, just crazy stuff, and so it was. I knew right away. I had another column planned for uh, Tuesday for Wednesday's paper, and I knew I had to write this. So uh, Ryan and I got up this morning and we talked it over and how we were going to divide it up. And uh, you know, I wrote a column. We 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 got it got it out pretty much by noon. Um, I wrote that I didn't. I thought it was. Uh, a, not a good idea and uh, a little reckless and and you kind of analyzed what it meant and what it would take to to pull this off i think um so when i first read it last night and i glanced at it i was tired and i just was not interested in reading i've had trouble with that lately but i read through and i was like man this just this all this stuff seems so implausible and all I could think about was all the difficulties in trying to enact all this stuff and trying to get the players union yeah. to agree upon some of these things, like quite legitimately leaving your family for four months and, and sequestering them, the, the sequestering themselves in a hotel sequestration yeah. uh, in a hotel. There's a word. I love that word. I yeah. mean, you, you used it a couple of times in your story. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, not like something you usually break out in a, a baseball story, but um, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite words, uh, defenestrate, which means to throw out the window. Oh yeah. That's I, a very, spe- a very specific word that, that describes I, just one thing. Well, if this thing breaks down midway through, I'm going to defenestrate my laptop. So, <laughs> Um, no, so I, I read it and I just kind of like, wow, you know, and I thought, you know, there's just, this is so far fetched. Now I trust that Jeff has like, like Jeff is a, to be on the record. Jeff is a pretty good friend of mine. We text sometimes, you know, uh, I got to know him. He's kind of part of that younger skinny jeans mafia of baseball writers that are out there. Um, and so I, tr- and he is, he, he's a great writer and a very good reporter and very well sourced. And, uh, and I know that the people that are telling him this are not, you know, making this up. Um, what I did think, and Larry kind of mentioned it, to us to my to me later this morning or earlier today and this i was just like man they're just floating this out here as like a temperature gauge to see what they're going to get from fans 
and also from players. Like Passon writes this and what the player reaction is because players aren't in these negotiations. The union is, and it's the union chiefs probably. I don't even think it's the, all the player reps at this point. I don't think they're at the point of player reps. So I thought this was kind of like, I think you referred to it as a test balloon uh, sent out by MLB and MLBPA to see what where this proposal would lie in all of this. Yeah, and reading further, it, I read a couple of sources today that said that the union was only brought in yesterday. So it was mainly the, the uh, behind-the-scenes at MLB coming up, hatching this plan, working with the CDC and other uh, health organizations. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the logistics of pulling this off by May are just, are just uh, staggering. Um, and just the, you know, this is what were the headlines two days ago that we'll get ready for the worst, the most painful week we're going to have in this whole thing, you know, and at, and at that, uh, while we're going through that, they're going to be playing baseball in a month. Um, they're going to, you know, it's going to require massive testing. And right now they, those tests don't exist. And the thought of taking tests away from, hospitals and and the like to use for baseball players is it, i think sends a bad a bad message but be passing story and uh let me interject i i think passing's the the right now is the cream of the crop when it comes to baseball writers uh, i mean there's a lot of really good ones rosenthal and verducci but i think uh passing on the national level is uh reigns supreme so i put a lot of uh stock in 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 what he writes but he said that they would not do this unless these tests were readily available uh because the whole thing is predicated on the players constantly being tested and and quarantining uh, when they first start to make sure that they're that they're safe but the the real problematic part to me ryan is that it's the people the periphery people that are going to have to be involved you've got the players but you've also got your grounds crew you've got your video people you've got your food service people uh you know coaches and managers who tend to be older than the you know, players are 25 and, and fit and, unless and they that. work for the mariners apparently like, yeah right yeah but you know there's a lot of uh coaches who are, are are my age including perry hill with the mariners who's older than i am i think he's the only guy in organized baseball right now who's older than me but um <laughs> Uh, you know, there's just seems to be some risk involved. And in other leagues that have tried to restart, like in Korea and Japan, they've run into problems where, you know, they, they, they're getting close. They've got to shut it down. You know, I, they've said that they would not, they're going to expand the rosters. Passon said, uh, significantly Rosenthal said, uh, what was it? 50? Yeah, fifty. Uh, Rosenthal said that the rosters could be as big as fifty players. Yeah. I guess there would probably be like a taxi squad or something. But the idea is, if a guy tests positive, they'll just shuttle in somebody else. And uh, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like a great recipe to me. Yeah. Um, so when I wrote this, and I, Larry and I wrote it very differently because that's what we do. Mine was kind of a focus. So like, I don't, I don't know what like for me. When I started, when I started to sit down to write about this, and then after the conversation, I, I, you know, and I, I listened, you know, I thought about it last night, and I was kind of watching TV and just kind of thinking about it. You know, I had some people texting me, "Oh, you're going to be going to Arizona," you know, and then I got up this morning and reread it again, and I think my my thoughts on this change. You know, at, at first I thought this was just so 
so off the wall and, and my lack of faith in the MLB and the MLBPA to agree on anything uh, was so high. I was like, this will never happen. And then I, I thought more about it and we talked a little bit and we started talking about the money that is involved in all of this and the concept of how much money and what would be lost if they failed to play a season. And all of a sudden I just kind of changed my thinking that, that the impetus for this to happen is there. The motivation is there because the players want the money. The owners want the money and the TV affiliates and everything else want the money. And that the amount of money involved here is just so great and so important to everyone involved that they are willing to make sacrifices in a lot of different ways to make this season happen. Um, but and, and let me preface this also. I don't give a damn what your political leanings are. I don't care whether you believe this is the, the flu or not. When I wrote, I wrote from the perspective of where we're at and what's being done. Okay, from a medical standpoint and from a, the federal or the state government and the federal government, what they are recommending, that's how I wrote it. And then talking with a couple people within baseball. And so the few people I talked to said that this was not that this is a, a real possibility, but it's all contingent on on how the this disease or this pandemic is kind of the spread of it goes the testing for it and where they can get rapid response tests, meaning you get the results within a day or within hours. And then, and then the ability to, to manufacture those MLB is not going to, you know, nobody's going to give it to them from the government. They're going to have to pay a private company to manufacture these tests. Now, if there's the ability to make millions upon millions of tests to meet the requirements, then you can see it going forward. But from a PR standpoint and from a simple moralistic standpoint, MLB isn't going to be taking tests away from people that truly need it to test a bunch of athletes when less than 1% could have it. So just like when you, if you're going to, when you read my stuff or you read Larry's stuff, you got to understand there's like no political agenda. And we're basing it on what is there now, not what you believe to be true. We are basing it on the decision of how you're going to do this, on what the information is provided, and how the government and the leagues have reacted, and the CDC and everything is recommended so far. Yeah, and you know, as I wrote, and I think I've said this before, this this uh, disease does not adhere to a calendar. I mean, uh, who knows what the, what it's going to be in a couple of weeks? I mean, there are some promising signs. There's some less promising signs. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I don't blame MLB for for uh, putting out contingencies and planning contingencies. That's what they they should be doing and mapping out how what the end game is and the uh, the transition to playing again is going to look like. I just think that to think that it's going to be in May uh, just seems it seems unrealistic to me. And you know, it, I, I I agree totally with you that the the financial aspect of it is is big. Uh, you know, I, th- I give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. I think they also are mindful of the fact that it would be a big boost, I think, to a lot of people who are getting hungry for sports and getting tired of watching, uh, you know, the 1982 uh, NBA Finals uh, to have real live sports. You know, sports in times of crisis has always been a rallying point and uh, uh diversion in uh, and but that that the unique aspect of this crisis is that it can't be or it hasn't been able to be so you know there is something to be said for having a sport out there and passing wrote about how uh, 
And there it is. For how to restart the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, are you still there? I heard some weird. Yeah, people, you're okay. But... We're okay. Okay. Um, uh, well, you cut out a little bit, a but we'll make it that, work. You know, the, the formula for restarting the economy. But I think that a lot of that is just kind of wishful thinking. It's uh, eventually it will restart, but uh, it has to be done organically, I think. And uh, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm just not sure that this can be pulled off. I'm, I'm pretty sure it can't be. I apologize if you hear me sniffling a little bit. I took my allergies are just destroying me today. So I've taken nasal spray and eye drops and i don't know how many if, if i take a benadryl i might just fall face first on my desk right now but um <laughs> no I, I look i i think there is a there is kind of the cliche meaning to all of this about you know bringing sports back and giving everybody a distraction but with that if you're the only sport in town and you're the only sport doing live sporting events i guess ufc is doing live sporting events but if baseball games returned I mean, the ratings generated generated from that, and the boost to the the local TV packages and the national TV packages. I think would have to renegotiate the number of national games played on TV because they have a set number. But if you want to air more, I think you pay more. I mean that that would help for the owners to offset the gate receipts that are being lost. MLB was a $10 billion industry last year. So they're losing a large portion of that in gate receipts, season tickets, concessions, all that stuff. So if you, you know, in a way to offset some of those losses, if you can come back and have these games played on TV, on networks that you own, they'll still probably black it out on MLB TV and I'll have to hear emails about it. But it is a, a generated a way to generate revenue and interest in a game and provide something that is lacking. I mean, they would own kind of the market right now, and and I don't I don't think that's lost on them from a financial standpoint. The benefits they would get from being the only televised live sporting event re- really going on on a nightly basis. Yeah, well, there there was an interesting article in the, the Ringer about this Atlanta cost of sports world's biodome obsession. Uh, that other, you know, lots of sports are kind of envisioning the same sort of uh, thing to, to, to get back going again. The, the uh, soccer, uh, Premier League soccer, uh, the NBA is looking into having this a tournament, a playoff in, in Vegas. Sort of the same thing as baseball, everybody in Vegas. Um, so uh, it's kind of a, it's a race to, to get back, and whoever. There is, if you have the only game in town, as you say, and just starving for for live action uh, sports after, like I said, watching all this uh, uh, replay stuff, the ratings will will be through the roof. And visually, it's going to be interesting. Uh, what would a baseball game look like with no fans in the stands? With with that mic'd up and no fans, you're going to hear a lot of things that. Uh, you had heard before every conversation will probably be uh, audible. Um, so, and the robo will be fascinating to people. You know, see when the Arizona Fall game or independently games in a particular league. I can't remember which one it was. Nobody's seen that before. So, uh, that will be tremendous amount of interest. And how that works, and that, that, you know, for baseball, they've been contemplating that for a while. This could jumpstart, get to 
particularly the players if this uh, indeed does happen. Okay, we're back. We had to do a little, uh, I'm sorry, Larry kind of started cut a little bit there. We found out that, you know, connecting his phone to the Wi-Fi might help a little bit. <laughs> so these are the things I deal with. All right, guys, you know, it's just, they're little things. Like we were, well, I was mentioning a lot earlier about Larry's computer. Larry has a habit of not restarting his computer for a month and running a bunch of apps. And then he wonders why it buzzes and has this fan going off in there because <laughs> it's overheating. Like it's just dying. Well, it turned out that it died because it was out of batteries because the uh, the power cord was shot. So I had to go to the office today. There actually are people at the office. Like there's one computer technician there, oh. and he and he uh, left a phone card for me uh, to pick up with social distancing. Mm-hmm. And then so uh, that problem is solved. Okay. And hopefully this one is solved too. I think so. Um, so when you were looking at the the passings okay so if we get past the the testing say let's say they get the testing in place um what do you think is the biggest obstacle for them like the biggest roadblock for making a for getting that to happen i think it's probably the players not only the players agreeing to be quarantined for four and a half months Away, you know, possibly away from their family. There's some debate about whether their families will be able to be there. Uh, Passon told a, an interesting anecdote um, this morning on Sports Center. He, uh, uh, are you still there? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's making weird noises again. No. Uh, he said he texted he he texted a player last night to get that player's opinion on this plan, and the player said that no way players are going to agree to be away from their families for four and a half months. And then the, in the morning he said, he got a text from the same player who said, you know, I talked it over for, with my wife and she said to get a paycheck, uh, I'm okay with it. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, players will, uh, see it that way. You know, as you wrote, there's, there's players in various stages of their financial career. You have somebody like Kyle, uh, Seeger, who's already made, you know, tens of millions, if not, you know, over a hundred million eventually, uh, and a Kyle Lewis, who's just at the beginning of his uh, earning power. But you know, even if you're rich, you still have you still have bills to pay. And if you're uh, making baseball's minimum salary, which granted it's six hundred thousand dollars, that's a great payday, but. Uh, you know, if you if you haven't even experienced that, and you've still been leave, living off minor league money, as many Mariners, they're so young, guys like Fraley and Lewis and uh, uh, various other young players who uh, shed long, who are just uh, breaking in, they they want that paycheck too. So, but uh, but just keeping everybody healthy uh, and making sure that you don't expose. Uh, uh, people like I said on the periphery who aren't playing, but who are vitally important to the staging of a game. It just seems uh, like a like a tough uh, needle to thread to me. See, I, I think yeah. I mean, I get that the four month um, sequestration was a problem. I gotta say it again. <laughs> uh, I I do. I think I just saw Eric Sogard's wife. Like, no way, my 
my husband is going four months without seeing his kid. And I think that's the one thing is like they would wish push to have these families um, sequestered with them in the hotel. But the problem is then you can't police these people like the families. Right. You know where they're going to go. Like the whole point of being isolated is that you can police these 40 guys or whatever, 50 guys plus all the staffers so that they're, they aren't, you know, they're practicing the protocols to keep the spread within their little circle low or the possibility of spreading it low. And you bring in outside factors like families. That's, that's a whole nother factor that could get involved in that. And, you know, there would be some, I think, I think there would be a lot of players that would say, look, no, stay home for the time being because you don't want to run the risk of being around, you know, if it got spread or whatever, so you could spread it to your kids, like you, that, that whole aspect. I think there would be that. I think you're right, though, in the sense that paychecks matter. And, and these guys, whether you're a, a millionaire or you're on the minimum, you live to your means. And so you generate or you accrue certain aspects that you have to pay for. And these guys technically, I mean, the guys in the 40 man are getting paid the, the basically kind of that, what is it? The, the prorated deal out of spring training like they would, but they're not getting game checks or game pay. And so it's all prorated. I I think that would be a hindrance. Um, Yeah. I think just that aspect of getting all the players to agree with it though. If like, again, if it's, if you make an all 40, 40 man roster players active and then you have a 10 player taxi squad, I mean, most of those guys are probably getting big league pay and big league service time. That's huge for the union. You know what I mean? That that's something that's major. I, I I think that the the idea of protecting players from a possible virus spreading is greater than you run the injury risk of players competing without having been built up. My my guess is you know you go for two weeks or whatever of a two week spring training and then you try and play games and they just run out a bunch of two and three inning starts. It's going to not look anything like the baseball. It's going to look a lot like spring training baseball at times, but. You know, I think that's a hindrance. I think the number of games that they're going to try and shoehorn into a into a small amount into those four months would be an issue. I think players, you know, w- what is the number? I, I just this this concept, and I guess it's based off of pay and other stuff. But this concept of one sixty two, it's I get that's what they, but one forty four is perfectly logical, and one twenty would be perfectly acceptable given the circumstances. I just don't know that. You know, you always have to shoehorn in to get to 162. Like, it's this magical number. It's the be-all, end-all. Look, the, the circumstances around this season are always going to be different than anything we've had since the strike years. So why try and fit it in? Okay, yeah. So uh, poor Larry cut out. He was mentioning that they played 144 games back in the day. This isn't, you know, the, the number of 162 yeah. has not always been resolute. Well, it was 154 in, uh, it's through, until the expansion year of 1961. So, uh, I mean, much of baseball's history was played in 154 games. In the Mariners' breakthrough year of 1995, they played 145 games because the season started late because the strike didn't end. There were years when, uh, 1981, they about 110 games because of a, of a baseball strike, and the the World Series champion that year is recognized as the World Series champion. I mean, there's going to be an asterisk by this season anyway. But I agree with you. N- no need. Uh, I don't see why they need to to get to 162 at all costs. I think everyone would be happy, Would be, should be ecstatic with 100 and, 
54, 144-game season. You know, one aspect of this we haven't even discussed is Phoenix in the summertime, which is, uh, you know, I went there when I covered the, the San Francisco Giants, the, the, the Phoenix Giants, this was before the Arizona Diamondbacks, it became an expansion team. The, the Giants AAA team was in Phoenix, and they played an exhibition game in the middle of the Major League season. On an off day, they flew to Phoenix, and, and I was traveling on the charter with the team, and it was 116 degrees that day when they played that game. So, uh, I mean, it, it's, it averages about 105 degrees in June, July, and August. Um, that's one reason. It's a dry heat. About. <laughs> it's a dry heat. But, you know, I, uh, of all the problems of this thing, I think that's the least significant. I think in general, players like they'd rather play in 105 degree weather than play in, you know, Cleveland in April where it's so cold. That or Safeco in, sept- Safeco in September. Exactly. Go in April or Safeco in September or, uh, you know, the the heat is uh, – it's oppressive, no question about it. But, you know, in Phoenix, they had mist machines. Uh, they, they play in the same stadium that the Oakland A's uh, played in for so many years before they moved to, to uh, Mesa. And now Arizona State plays there, and I think that will be one of the stadiums that they play these games in because they're going to need more than just the spring training stadiums and, the, and Chase Field. But um, – I could see like them putting in these mist machines, at least in the dugout or what it, what will be the equivalent of the dugout, which is the, the stands where the players are going to sit six feet apart. Um, so there's, there's ways to mitigate the heat a little bit. I don't know if they're going to play the games like they do in the, in the instructional league where they'll start games really super early or, or later in the evening when it cools down. But then you got the, the time difference factor. If you start a game at seven o'clock in Arizona, it's uh, ten o'clock on the East Coast, and what you know that's going to affect ratings too. So there's little little side problems, logistical things to work through. I definitely think you could play multiple games per day at Chase Field, since it is the yeah. climate controlled one. Um, Larry mentioned, could you make uh, what is it? Phoenix Stadium or whatever it is, University of Phoenix Stadium, it's not, it's, State Farm Field. It's not called that. In, I don't know what yeah, it's, it's called. Not, when we, we, I remember driving by this spring. Remember when we were at spring training? That seems like ten years ago. Oh but my god, that was actually <laughs> that was actually just a few uh, weeks those, ago. Those but bananas were a precursor by. for that. <laughs> I, yeah, we're gonna when spring training restarts, I'll have to buy a new batch of bananas. But um, I remember us driving by one day, and I, I think I said, "Huh, it's not University of Phoenix Field anymore." But it's a football field, and the configuration would be pretty weird. But you know, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers played two seasons at the LA Coliseum, at the LA Coliseum, and. Um, so it is doable. It, it would be really weird, but it would be climate controlled. But I, I don't think I, I don't necessarily see that. It, there was a uh, the right field porch at the L.A. Coliseum because of, because of the way it was configured was so short that the Dodgers had a player named Wally Moon who was a left-handed hitter, and he would hit these two hundred and forty foot home runs. They called moon shots. Um, so they're, they're, if you do squeeze in, in a football field or convert a football field to a baseball field, there's going to be some short porches and some really long porches. I 
yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to do that ump thing either. I mean, I think that's just a, I think that's a Manfred thing, so he can try and get in robot <laughs> umps faster than he wanted to. But uh, I mean, well, you know what? Will players be wearing masks? You see the pictures of the Korean players wearing masks. Are the players going to be wearing masks when they play? I bet you a few of them do. But I think, I think the Korean players, from what I read, they, they stopped wearing the masks because they found it too uncomfortable to play yeah. baseball wearing masks too annoying so they they didn't do it and uh, i mean it would be uh, a technological challenge right now there's one ballpark in arizona that's set up for robo umps and that's a uh, talking talking stick where the diamondbacks and the uh, rockies share share a field um would they be able to institute it at 10 11 12 more stadiums in this short amount of time on the other hand do you want an umpire just uh, breathing, you know, <laughs> breathing upon uh, the, the the umpire. Uh, excuse me, the, the the catcher, like the normal uh, setup where he's right up on him with his hand on him and his face over his shoulder. Um, you know, baseball is a spaced out game compared to say football or hockey or something like that. But there is you have plays at the you know plays on bases sliding into bases guys holding on uh, first baseman holding on the runner um you know there is contact that you, it, unavoidable you've got a baseball that players are are pitchers love to you know go to their mouth and rub the baseball and, and all that and uh, so there are uh problems that way as well yeah it's that's I mean, there is a lot of details to it, a little lot of details that would have to be ironed out. I think just the – I was reading some more stuff on ESPN, Jesse Rogers, who does a nice job for ESPN Chicago, kind of wrote that, like, metaphorically, this is the first inning. Uh, these are these negotiations are in the first inning of it. I think just the premise or the idea that, hey, if if this is, this is, the, that this is the best option, that, like, hey – Going to one area where they can sequester and they don't have to fly and they, they can just drive and they can do all these things and can control the environment to the best of their ability. I think that agreeing that that is the best best viable option is the, the most important thing. Like all the things we talked about, the sitting in the dugout, the umpires, all these other things, those those go, go into effect Um you know, those have to be taken care of as you get later into the process. I still, I just, I think the biggest obstacles, obviously, the test part, the medical aspect of us, because again, like the whole, the perception or the data coming back from from coronavirus tests, deaths, everything else. If what was there a widespread outbreak in Phoenix? Was that changed the the arithmetic on all of this? I I, I think whatever it is, you know, th- those aspects are are going to take precedent and then just getting on the players to agree on that like the the concept of how many players would be allowed to go what the the service time ramifications the pay and all of that i think and then whether or not players could bring their families will be the the biggest sticking points beyond the medical the rest of it eh, i think all of those are totally doable and totally survivable players have the ability to adjust uh, you know, you can adjust not having the pitcher come to the or the manager come to the mound or the coach come to the mound or, you know, whatever. I, I guess maybe you can spray some stuff on the ball every inning. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, but I, no, mean, I like, agree. I just think that's I think it's I don't know. Do you think this is going to happen? Uh, 
my guess is is it is eventually going to happen. That's the tricky part. What I was going to say is that at some point sports are going to restart and it's not going to be perfect. I mean, this is going to hang over us as a society for a long time. I think uh, in a lot of ways, there's going to be a lot of concern over it coming back a second wave and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, there's going to be changes that are going to have to be made no matter when you do it. I just think that it doesn't make sense to, to do it so quickly. I think baseball will, I've sort of changed my opinion. I think I was more pessimistic before, but then I hear how they're, they're jamming this through and how determined they are. I, so I've, I, I think there may be baseball this year. It won't be, it, it, it won't be a perfect situation, but it seems like they're willing to do it in an imperfect way. So I do think they, they, they will eventually do this. I would have a hard time believing that they will start in, in May um, or even by mid-June. I, I think July is more more realistic. Yeah, well, I mean, if they went along with this plan, like this this plan of all being in Arizona, well, then they, they, can, they could start the season on July 1st and go into November and play still, quite easily play into November, even December if they had to, if you're playing all in Arizona. You know, that it that yeah. aspect doesn't, you know, you don't have that other aspect that everybody's talking about. So, yeah, I... I I think, I think, you know, if they were to get the tests in place that, you know, they're mass produced now that you can get them, anybody can readily get them. Well, then, yeah, I think that, I think two to three weeks after that date happens where they know they can secure those, then I think that's when they go back. My guess is they start middle of june to july 1st but they'll that's when the season will actually start they'll go back and start playing and working out before then and then well, another interesting aspect that we talked about in kind of a conversation on the phone uh it, you know the, we've talked about this before on, on this podcast but the, the challenges that face the mariners in the fact that this was going to be such a developmentally uh oriented season and so much was riding on the development of the of the uh, Kellenix and the Julios and the Logan Gilberts who now uh, I mean is there going to be a minor league season um, it's, it's hard to imagine that there will be a minor league season but you pointed out that maybe that this will give them an opportunity to since the rosters are going to be expanded maybe up to 50, maybe you put your top prospects on the 40-man roster or on the taxi squad or whatever so they're at least in Arizona practicing and playing and maybe even getting a little taste of the major leagues, and that's a way you can advance their uh, their progress and their development a, li- a little bit in what otherwise would be possibly a lost season of in, on the developmental level. Yeah, I mean, and that's another rubbing point there too. Look, like if you're gonna have a 40 man roster and 10 player taxi squad, I think obviously that Jerry Kelnick and Julio Rod- Jerry Kelnick for certain and Logan Gilbert would be one of those 10 guys that aren't on the 40 man but were invited. But then what happens in terms of service time? Are they getting MLB service time if they're on the 10, not on the 40 man, or does it only start when they get on the 40 man? The logistics of all of that will have to be figured out, you know, and how, you know, and then the gameplay rules too, like. How many of the 40 are eligible? Are you going to use all 40? You know, I, I mean, I don't think why at this point why it would matter that you do if they're all there. Um, but, yeah, I, 
I can see all the ways it should work. And I know all the motivations and most of it being money, why they want to get this done. But I, I know just based on on baseball and the MLBPA and trying to agree on anything, it just seems to get take longer than it necessarily should. Yeah, but they did they did reach a pretty quick agreement on service time when they shut down uh, the season in um, March. They did come to a quick resolution on how they were going to determine uh, service time, and they made a compromise about uh, this is this is what we talked about. I think on the <laughs> podcast that wasn't. And by the way, I am just for our listeners. I am standing in a corner of my bedroom because it's the only spot where we got a good uh, connection. So I have no computer to look at or anything like that. I'm just standing here foolishly in a corner. But I'm not the I'm first happy time to that's do it happened. For this. <laughs> um what was i just saying i, lost I have my train no idea oh uh, well we were talking <laughs> we we're talking about the decision and the agreement reached last time oh right yeah so i think there's encouragement there that in times that really call for compromise that it might be there but it is incredibly complex when you start to get into service time issues which are very important and the other thing that is going to have to be worked out is sort of the uh, the revenue sharing on the owner's side, the team side. When you have so many teams that have the you know huge television local deals, some who have none uh, deals that are nowhere close, and now that's all their revenue. Teams have lost their revenue from gate concessions and all that. There are none of that. So all the revenue is television and radio revenue now. So there's going to be, have to be some way to even the playing field so that, you know, between the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays, for example, which are already, there's a wide disparity, but uh, it'll even be wider now. So that's something that they're going to have to work out. And uh, speaking of which, I mean, uh, the coverage of these games, which involves you very uh, intimately here, I mean, are you going to be allowed to as a beat writer and your fellow beat writers and any other report reporters who want to cover these games, what, what, what is going to be their protocol? Uh, Pass- we talked about that. Pass- is just going to be the pool reporter for all of it. He's just going to go. <laughs> um, and are even, I mean, I, I heard Shannon Dreyer speculating that maybe they'll broadcast the games remotely, you know, like in the old days when they used to recreate, uh, recreate the games in the studio and you know hit uh, trash cans for crowd noise and all that and uh, thump a, a fake glove with a ball to make it sound like the the ball was hitting the glove uh, but you know I, I don't think they would have to resort to that I think they could have still have television crews who are spaced appropriately in the booth but Will there be reporters in the press box, and how will interviews be conducted? I, I think the open locker room is probably something that will not, never be back or a long time before teams in all sports feel comfortable again with the old-fashioned and standard until two months, uh, four weeks, four weeks ago, where you went into a locker room or a clubhouse after a game and did your interviews. And that's it's hard to imagine that in in this climate. I mean, it's impossible to imagine that. So, so will there be? Uh, uh, will it all be done on a podium? Will it be done via Zoom or or what? How will how will that 
happen. That's an interesting, you know, sideline as well. Yeah, I, yeah, the Zoom thing frightens me. I, you know, if the, if if the times if this happened, I'd want to go. You know, I'd want to be there. Um, I think you would. So would I, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a huge story. I think one of the things you would do is is you would just have a distance. You would have podium interviews instead of locker room interviews nothing close face to face you would keep a relative distance and everything involved and then same within the press box i think they would limit the number of media there but i mean think about that like the japanese media how much japanese media follows around shohei otani are they going to limit that they're going to have one pool reporter they're going to have how many writers there you know it's just uh look the new york media which carries 25 traveling writers at once and at a home game has a hundred people there you know, how does that all work? Um, yeah, and just, I mean, even even if you find ways to to distance them post-game, uh, they have to sit somewhere in a press box. Or I guess since the stands are empty, I guess you could just put put, put the media in the stands. In 110 degree heat. I'll be out there in a tank <laughs> yeah. top and a Speedo. Tank top and a Speedo just going, yep, that's how we're going to write today, boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to carry our own uh, uh, swamp cooler or something yeah. like that, but there won't be any place to plug it in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I mean, that and the, I'm sure the media logistics are probably the the smallest, other than how they would broadcast, how many cameras and everything else. That you know, another thing is like those. I mean, and, and again, you'll take whatever at this point because I'm watching 82 basketball, 1982 basketball games, not in HD, which is really painful to watch. But you know some of those spring training stadiums are pretty bare bones in terms of like broadcast position stuff. But you know, how do you broadcast it? It takes a truck, it takes cameramen, it takes multiple guys to do all this work too. So, you know, another thing, like, are they doing temperature tests when you walk in, you know, like they do at hospitals now, they take your temperature, they screen you. My guess is they do, they do all these things. I mean, it'd be a massive, massive undertaking too. You're talking about, I mean, realistically, so you say one hotel has a team. So that's 50 players, 50 players, 10 coaches, another 10 staff members, plus, you know, 10 non-uniform staff, plus the security guards that, that have to cover it. Um, and and you're, so that's, you know, 75, 80 people per team times 30 in the Valley. It's a massive amount of people you're dealing with and having to check and test and, and monitor and you're putting some faith in and people to do that i don't know if they deserve that trust or not but yeah it'd be pretty interesting to see how that goes and uh, you know this ringer article i was referring to yeah also uh, you're you're too ha- old to read the ringer by the way <laughs> that's for people <laughs> under 30 <laughs> uh well somebody somebody uh cited the article i don't it's not in my regular rotation mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did check it out. Um, you know, what if a player gets injured, not not the virus, but, you know, breaks an ankle or something and, uh, you know, there's going to be injuries. And is that going to be uh, taking away from the medical care that's going to be needed for the uh, for the for the people who are uh, being treated for for covid? So that's just another little wrinkle to it. Uh, it's it's all i mean like again i read this thing i thought it, i wouldn't say preposterous i just thought it was stunningly crazy uh, and then the more i thought about it and the more i thought about all the things involved and and the motivation behind all of this 
Um, and I thought, yeah, they're going to find a way to make this work because I just think with each day you get closer and you don't have a solution in place is another day you're getting closer to not having a 2020 baseball season. And I think in the end, that is the worst possible scenario for all those involved in baseball is not having a season. It would be catastrophic to the game. Well, if they, if they can come and work out all these issues that we talked about, and I think it bodes well for the upcoming negotiations upcoming very quickly when the basic agreement expires i think after this upcoming season or, or after the next season i think it's but after 21. certainly next year yeah but next year was going to be the negotiating year you know yeah and you know if they if they can come up to if they can come to a meeting of the minds on this i think it bodes well for kind of a cooperative spirit between the, the two sides and uh the whole dynamics of that negotiation has changed it's a whole new landscape now i mean teams can teams are always crying poverty but now they could sort of legitimately say hey we lost we lost a billion dollars last year and uh that's going to affect what they're going to to offer for sure and i think you know the, the players will, will both sides will be coming at it from a, a totally unexpected and different uh, point of view. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like, again, like, we're not getting into the politics of all this, but I was watching one of the briefings the other day, and somebody asked Fauci if it, when it would be back to normal, and he just kind of pointed out that the concept of where this what where life was before this isn't going to happen anytime soon. Like, it just isn't, and that's what you kind of have to view with sports, that, like, look, and I think players, the, the longer this goes, the more that players in different leagues and leagues are starting to understand that there is no going back to the way it was before in the immediate future. It's just not, you're going to have to adjust. People are going to adjust to a a different life and a different way of handling things uh, until some other things are resolved. And I think that's what I baseball I'll give Manfred credit because this is look. I I make fun of Rob Manfred a lot for, for almost being too willing to listen to any idea, stupid or not. But this, this is not um, this whole idea as crazy as it is, might be the best solution. And being willing to listen to these kinds of ideas is important because, you know, from a logistical standpoint, like, you know, maybe you had a different commissioner that says, oh, no, it has to be this way. Now he's saying, nope, we have to think outside the box because what we're dealing with has never been inside the box before. Yeah, and, you know, he's shown a willingness. He's got a lot of criticism criticism for it, but... I mean, he's been thinking outside the box for a long time, I and mean, a lot of these proposals for the game that uh, the three pitcher, uh, the three batter batter minimum for relievers, and the pitch clock, and all and all that stuff, and the robo ump, and all that stuff, was him realizing that there was a problem with the game's image among younger people as a slow, boring game, and and being proactive and trying to change that. And of course people pushed back against it, but uh, you know, I've, I've always admired that about him is that he will try things and, and he does uh, float things out there and get everybody up in arms and then uh, never. (laughs) And people, you know, he gets a lot of criticism for things that haven't even been instituted yet just because they were they were uh, being bandied about and thought about I mean that's what you do you you brainstorm and you and you see how well how well it works and all that and this is a, a, a case of that and 
that's why I mean baseball put out a after passing story they put out a hastily hastily assembled press release this morning saying oh you know putting basically putting the brakes on it saying that there's no pre- this is all preliminary nothing's official we're still have lots of different ideas so i mean this could be a case of just something that's one of many plans that are that are in the works uh but as we started this thing off by saying you know passon wouldn't have written this if he didn't have pretty strong indication that this is a serious one i mean it's it it may seem far-fetched but i think we're at the point where far-fetched possibilities have to be considered because you're not just gonna it's just not going to go back and i i think anybody thinking that it is going to go back to the way it was at least this season is just i think they're kidding themselves so i think just and and you have to wonder sorry no, go you ahead. have to wonder when you have to wonder when will fans feel comfortable going back into the stands i mean uh you know, even even if they threw open the the gates and said, "Yeah, we'll we'll do it with fans," I think it's going to be a long. It's going to be a while before people are comfortable being uh, congregated with other people in such close quarters. I mean, it's amazing how you know. I don't know if you're like you're like me, but you watch something on television, you see two people meet and they hug, and you go, "No, no, don't do that." It's like, well, uh, I thought whole... I th- I was against hugging before this, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I keep trying to hug you when yeah. I see you, but you always push me away. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's just everyone's going to have to be retrained slowly into into doing things when it's safe to do so. Right now, you're you're smart not to to do all that stuff that we used to do, but uh, it's going to take a while, even when everything is declared. Uh, you know, if it's ever declared safe again to, to get back into that mindset. But the, I mean, I, I think things like washing our hands a little bit more and maybe not uh, high-fiving or shaking hands quite as often. I mean, I think there's going to be some permanent changes in in the way we operate now just for hygiene and safety reasons. Well, I mean, people here in Seattle were already standoffish already, so it's not going to be a big problem, <laughs> uh, even before this. Um, now, um, so your thinking is what? I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but what, where, what is your prediction in all of this? Well, I mean, that's part of my point is it's just impossible to predict because you don't know where the... Wuss. Where the... the, the, the I'm, I'm leading to... I've already, you already asked me this question. I already predicted. Um I, I said that I don't think it's going to happen on the timetable that uh, that um, they are proposing, but I could see later on in the year they're being they're they're moving this operation to Arizona and just forging ahead, maybe more in July than than May or June. Okay, yeah. so uh, I think it'll. I think the season's still going to start on July first. I think, and the podcast that will never be aired. I said that as well. So, um, <laughs> how are you? spending your time at home i i know you're watching joe exotic but are you reading any of the books are you reading any of these seattle times books that we recommended uh i cannot tell a lie no <laughs> i mean we're st- i'm still working a f- the same 40 hour week so in that regard it's not much different i was working from home anyway so that hasn't changed my son who was a junior is a junior at western they 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 canceled all their uh, in person classes, so he's come home. So we hang out and do stuff, watch stuff together, play uh, cards or 
whatever. And uh, he started reading books, and he's kind of shamed me into uh, I am going to get some books out and start reading. That's my next project. So we did. How about the, you? Uh, no, my ADD is on fire, and my allergies are killing me. So my eyes hurt most of the time. Um, and I mentioned the West Wing reruns. Um, but we did do this book club in the paper a while back. Um, Larry and I both recommended some baseball books. Um, go ahead, Larry, and mention your two favorites. That are two of my favorites, but we tried not to double up in terms of uh, baseball books or of books in general. I knew which ones Larry – I knew one of them was what Larry was going to pick anyways. Well, Ball Four was my number one choice because it's such a great book. Even It was written in 1970. Jim Bowden's Chronicle of the 1969 Seattle Pilots season, and then he ends up with the Houston Astros. But and Bowden died, I think it was in 2019. Uh, my other no-brainer choice was The Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn, who also just died this year, um, which is about uh, his his journey to reconnect with the Brooklyn Dodgers that he covered as a 20 like five year old reporter. He, young reporter with the New York Herald, I think. And it's a very poignant story. Uh, I can't remember what my other three were. I don't have my computer here because I'm standing in the corner. Ah, uh, it doesn't matter. You got your two baseball books. You did the Koufax biography too, didn't you? Oh, by Koufax, Jane, yes. By Jane Levy, yeah, Jane Levy I, I, right? Yeah, and you had a Jane Levy book too. I, uh, she is, she's just a brilliant uh, biographer. And uh, as I wrote in, the, in that article, my expectations were through the roof because I, Sandy Koufax is my guy, my baseball idol, the guy I grew up rooting for as a kid in L.A. And so it was impossible for her to meet my expectations, and yet somehow she exceeded them. The book was so thorough and so riveting for me. So I, I, I had only a couple of baseball books in there. I actually had The Arm by Jeff Passan because I'm such a shill for him. But no, it was a good book. And like I hadn't read a lot of good baseball books. And Passan, that book that Passan did on that was, was fantastic. That was like my number five pick. My other baseball book in there that I mentioned was Jane Levy's autobiography on – or a biography, not autobiography. Jane Levy's biography on Mickey Mantle, the last uh, – uh, I think it was the last boy. It's called last last American boy. I yeah, think. and um, my I grew up. At, you know, my I was almost named Mickey. My dad really wanted to name me Mickey, Mickey Roger, or Roger Mickey. And my mom looked at him like, "You're on drugs," because um, my dad loved Mickey Mouse and Roger Maris as a kid, uh, and so I wore. He used to make me wear number. I always wore number seven because of that. Uh, and then later I started partying like Mickey Mantle when I would go out and play. <laughs> um, but it it is the, the details that she gets into in that book are astonishing. And it doesn't always paint the best picture of Mickey Mantle, which is good because that's not you don't want it to be all light and fluffy. But it, it is it is truly an amazing, amazing book. Um and so, yeah, actually, you know, I read that too, and I agree a hundred percent. But to me, even though it doesn't always paint a great picture of him, I thought it was a very sympathetic, okay. ultimately portrait. I came away far more understanding of why he was the way he was. There were so many forces from his childhood yeah. that that pointed him in the direction of being, you know, the partier and the alcoholic that he was. I mean, Mickey Mantle never thought he'd live past the age of forty-five. I mean, his all of his family died young. Uh, it's it is truly it's it's a great book. Uh, 
and uh, I thought that was great. And I, did, I, did I have another baseball one in there? No, I mean, I could go in. I would definitely say all the David Halberstam's books, Summer of 64, Summer of 49, great. I mean, there's a ton of great baseball books out there. Larry's friend, John Shea, just has a uh, biography on Willie Mays. It just came out. I have it. I got it sent to me, so I'm excited. It's sitting on my stack of books that I should probably read. Um, I have Rob Nyer's book. I have a, I have a whole bunch of baseball books I got to read. But look, you, you know, cut the cord. Cutting the cord doesn't just mean cable. Like, read a book every once in a while. Read the Seattle Times, too. Read my stuff today. And we'll also do this this live on online thing this week where Larry can show off one of the hats I picked out for him. <laughs> Oakley, baby. Yeah. So uh, any other thoughts, Larry, before we go? Uh, no, just uh, stay safe, uh, social distance, uh, wash your hands, and all that other stuff you're sick of hearing. Quickly, have you watched any of these old games lately? I, I mean, I can't. Look, they've had the 95 series on so much. I just can't. I, you know, I watched a little bit of it, but I, I'm trying to think if I was more in, I more interested in any other game. Oh, I did watch the uh, the Gibson game the other night when they. Me too. Was, yeah, I watched that. That was that was one of the more seminal moments in my baseball life. I remember I was in second grade at home watching that with a couple <laughs> of my friends and my dad. Yeah, you were there, Larry. I was there. It was I was the in second you were, grade. <laughs> you were in the second grade, and I was. That was my first World Series game I ever covered. So it was a pretty good one to break in on. But that pretty much is a nutshell as our different in <laughs> i don't know maybe it was stark was it, what year was it what year was it you, again? it was 88 you must have been no older than i was second older grade. i was older than that i think i was seventh grade okay but, yeah that's more like it i didn't think you were in second grade in 1988 i think it was seventh grade seventh grade maybe but i just remember um, sitting I, at home I actually, watching that oh go ahead go no ahead. go ahead Sorry. i was just gonna say that the, uh, I am kind of, I got to admit, riveted by this uh, 95 series, and I enjoyed watching Game 3 yesterday. There's so much focus on Game 4 and 5, especially 5, but I know, you know, 3 was one that kind of got lost in the shuffle for me. It was the must-win game with Randy Johnson on the mound. Just watching... You know, vintage Randy Johnson snarling and and pawing the dirt and all that, and just blowing people away. That I loved that. I, I watched that last night. Yeah, that's not bad. All right, I'll let you go. Go queue up some John Prine records and listen to him yeah. and have a beer or something. Rest in peace for John Prine. Yeah, absolutely. All right, all man. right. Thank you. Yeah. See ya. See you soon. All right, that will wrap up this week's show. Again, thank you for bearing with us through the technical difficulties. I'm going to try and get these ironed out. You know, that, these are things that are not exactly my forte. Also, Larry mentioned it, but uh, rest in peace to John Prine, who was just a fantastic uh, songwriter, um, a poet, um, a lyricist. He's a genius. He's a lyrical genius. And I, I recommend his stuff. It, it's great. It's, you know, as somebody who writes for a living, you can only wish to hope to write like that guy does. So uh, rest in peace, John Prine, and we'll talk to you again soon. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. 
Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.